Welcome everybody to another episode of Mitch and Brad's Movie Show, episode number six here. So very excited again to be with everybody and discuss some movies, some latest releases, some classics, some movie scenarios. So very excited to get into this week's episode. So we just want to start off by saying that at the end of last week's episode, we had a little bit of a goof where there was a little bit of a schedule mix up, call it whatever you want, but we said this episode was going to be covering American Underdog, but instead we're going to cover that in two weeks from now. So we just kind of rearranged the schedule a little bit because both of us got to see a movie a little bit early and we want to talk about it here as the episode will debut and people will be talking about Moonfall. So Brad, what do you think? Are we going to have a good episode today? I think every episode is a great episode. So yes. Absolutely. So let's get right into it. The opening question discussion, whatever you want to call it here. We pose this question to ourselves since this episode is centered around moonfall and space and aliens and all that kind of stuff, sci-fi. So we asked ourselves, what alien invasion do you think you'd be able to survive from a movie? And Brad, I don't want to accuse you of anything, but I think he copied off of my answer a little bit, take, taking the easy way out instead of like a uh, World of Worlds or something a little bit more devastating where you thought, oh, man, what's a what's a bad one I'd be able to, you know, escape or survive in? Because I, I did take a little bit of an easy route, but my answer was Arrival. So, Brad, did you uh, kind of see that and just kind of like copy the uh, the easy alien invasion, you know, kind of approach from me? I'll be honest, I actually went through and looked, I looked at about 10 different, like, 25 best um, 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 alien invasion movies, you know, I, I, I and, and this wasn't, this question was, was a thinker, because it wasn't just what's your favorite alien invasion movie, it was which one can I survive, and so it came down between the faculty and my pick, which is Men in Black, as to which one I could survive, well, the faculty, I guess I could have died easily in. So I did kind of go with your choice, which, you know, yours was a rival, which was like, well, those aliens weren't there to harm us. Well, Men in Black, they really weren't there to harm us that much either. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a, a delineation of your of your pick. <laughs> Yeah, so I did uh, pick Arrival as, you know, a movie where the aliens are a little bit more benevolent in their invasion of Earth because by the time you get to the end of the movie, spoilers for a 10 plus year old movie at this point, but still you find out that they're actually going to give a gift to humanity in the form of their language, which lets you perceive time non-linearly, which means you can see the past, present, future simultaneously. So. I would very much love to live in that world where I would absolutely dedicate myself to learning the gift of their language and to be able to do that and, and see those things like that. So I would say there is a little bit of a survival element because in the movie, everyone is freaking out. The world is coming to an end. So it just, you know, there is a little bit of survivability there. I'll, I'll still give myself that at least. Yeah, I mean, if we were to talk about like best alien invasion movies arrival is up there for me arrival is a great movie music the mu it, music makes a movie man and that movie had phenomenal um a phenomenal score by um a composer who actually recently passed away uh whose name escapes me i know it but it escapes me but the music just made that movie phenomenal and and i appreciate it as you said the non-linearly time time it, uh the way they cut back and forth in that movie to where you really didn't know what was going on it wasn't a straightforward movie directed and by what was it denis villanueva if i'm pronouncing his name correctly yeah, which however I you want be. to say his name denis via denis via is i believe how you pronounce it but that is probably wrong <laughs> i guess coming from a survival standpoint of arrival could you survive that way? That's a, that's a mixed one. Cause like, was it said explicitly in that movie, if everybody was going to be given these kind of mind powers that, 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 uh, Amy Adams was given, or is that kind of going to be special to governmental people and stuff like that? 
Well, considering how in the movie Amy Adams wrote a book on their language, which I'm assuming led people to study it and know how to speak it or whatever it is, whatever level you have to reach to be able to begin to perceive time that way. I'm assuming that the in the book she wrote in the movie that she explained all that and kind of laid out their alphabet and that's where people learned it, that it wasn't just super restricted, that it was a gift to all humanity. Yeah, yeah, I guess I, I glossed over or I don't remember that. I, I've, I haven't seen it in a while, so I did forget about that part. So yeah, I guess, I guess on a survivability level, that is a pretty solid choice because they were there for us to survive. Yeah, Men in Black, uh, you know, I get your answer, too, because, you know, you have the Men in Black protecting you, you know, aliens, for the most part in those movies, yeah, they they kill a few humans here and there, but not really an invasion, you know, you'd be pretty safe with aliens invading, you know, from other planets in the same world as the Men in Black, so, you know, I think that's a good answer, too, and those are certainly enjoyable movies, of course, you know, whether you like the first one, third one, the international, which I didn't really like that much, but it still exists. So, you know, I think they're always entertaining at least. So this was, I got into the weeds on this man. Cause I was like, well, and is an alien invasion movie is ET an alien invasion movie? Cause obviously I could survive ET is Mac and me an alien invasion movie. Cause I'm not in a wheelchair. So I could probably survive that movie as well. If you remember one of the most famous scenes for that movie is <laughs> the kid in the wheelchair goes flying down the uh, cliff and flies off into a lake. Conan O'Brien made fun of it all the time. It's, um, Whenever Paul Rudd was on the Conan O'Brien show, that was the clip he'd show from Mac and me. So I got, I really went into the weeds thinking about what is the one I could survive and what is an alien invasion movie? Because is it an alien movie or does it have to be invasion? And that's kind of, I narrowed it down to The Faculty, which was an alien invasion movie, kind of a remake of Invasion of the Body Snatchers with Robert Rodriguez directing. And then Men in Black, which is, I feel like, I feel like they would probably recruit me just based on my speed. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. But, you know, I, uh, that's that's a question for another day about which movie universe would you want to be a part of, which maybe uh, Secret Strike Force or whatever it is, you know, secret organization would you most want to be in a movie, be a part of. So we'll save that for down the line for a movie that kind of deals with that sort of thing. But that's a good uh, discussion question for the future. It is. So I think I think we picked some good some good good flicks. I mean, we could we could both survive those movies easily. Yeah, no, alien invasion movies are always fun watches for me too. So um, you know, now that we've really exhausted that conversation, let's move into our main topic of today, which is the past, present, and future of disaster movies. So for our main segment here today, we're talking past, present, and future. And this is a new segment to the show where we look at a specific genre of movies, whether it's action, comedy, horror, whatever it is, and we kind of examine the past, if there have been some good hits, the present, you know, some recent ones that we've gotten, whether for better or for worse, and then the future, where we think the genre is going and if it has a bright future ahead of itself. So today, in correspondence with Moonfall, we're looking at the past, present, and future of disaster movies. Now, these are definitely popcorn flicks. I, I think you and me can at least agree on that. I think we might start to differ here as we get a little bit more into it about how good some of them are and how how long they should last, you know, in people's memories. But I definitely think they're they're entertaining. At least I, you got to give a lot of disaster movies that. I think you can definitely grab a big bucket of popcorn go to an IMAX screening of one of these and just enjoy yourself. Well, yeah, without a doubt. I, I, even if you hate them, they are still big screen movies in the spectacle of them. In that, you know, back in the day, even today, man, people, you know, people are like, my, my TV at home is as big as a movie theater. It's not. Unless you're a massive millionaire with a big old basement. So these are movies with like explosions and, and world destruction and stuff. And they're like, you know, it, it, you, I'm not looking for Shakespeare every time out. Sometimes I just want to see stuff get destroyed on the big screen with sound blasting in my ears. And these movies fulfill that, that gap. I love them. 
So Moonfall was another Roland Emmerich disaster movie, guy who has pretty much made his name on making disaster movies or these large scale, you know, popcorn flick movies. So would you kind of credit him with the modern disaster movie, whether he kind of pushed the genre into audiences eyes a little bit more, brought it a little bit more to the forefront or that when you think disaster movie these days, you think Roland Emmerich. Do you really kind of give him credit for some of that stuff? Yeah, in the modern day of what a disaster movie is, I think most people would point to Emmerich fl- flicks without even realizing they're Emmerich flicks, unless movie nerds like us. But like, you know, a 2012, uh, 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 Day After Tomorrow, Independence Day is really one of the, the, the first big ones of the modern era of disaster film so i think people when they talk about roland emmerich they say i don't think i'm making this up although i may be but i I believe i've heard people say like nobody destroys the earth like roland emmerich yeah absolutely i think for you and me we know who that is he's a director he does for the most part disaster movies but if you're talking to an average movie movie goer someone who's just kind of checking out moonfall on a whim in theaters and they say who roland emmerich who is that guy well he does a lot of these types of movies so yeah you covered a lot of his most popular ones independence day 2012 day after tomorrow um one that he maybe gets some flack for maybe deserves it he directed godzilla the one from the 90s not the good one from 2013 14 whenever that one came out but yeah he has certainly made a name for himself doing disaster movies and i think for the most part doing them well because are they oscar winners no not really but are they entertaining popcorn flicks that you can just get lost in and just enjoy a large-scale destruction disaster something's going on movie yeah i think they do that really well whenever you get one directed by him i agree for the most like like independence day is one of my all-time favorites i watch it every year on independence day but then he came out with Independence Day Resurgence, and that movie to me is unwatchable. And it takes a lot for me to say a movie is unwatchable, but Independence Day Resurgence was unwatchable. So, you know, he, he can do them really well, and he can he can do some garbage. Because I think he did one called, was it 10,000 BC or as well? I wasn't a huge fan of that movie. Um, so, you know, he's not a guy who hits a home run every time out of the gate. But... I appreciate the the effort. Yeah, absolutely. Look, no director is perfect. Even Scorsese makes a bad movie every now and then. But yeah, some are misses even with casual moviegoers who just want to see stuff blow up in a disaster movie. Not all of them were bona fide hits. But yeah, he has certainly made a lot of them and certainly made a name for himself at the box office, at least no matter what the Rotten Tomatoes score might be on some of his movies. But, you know, in talking about disaster movies, you know, what are your personal favorites what are some that kind of stand out to you because uh one of my favorites is deep impact because i think that's a disaster movie that kind of blends everything really well that you want out of a disaster movie it has stakes it has emotion it has large-scale destruction it has all these different things that i think it balances really well because when you kind of shift one way or the other too much into the emotional territory or too much into just the mindless destruction it just the other kind of facets of a disaster movie can get lost and I think that's one that balances them really well. So what do you think about Deep Impact? Is it up there as, you know, one of the better disaster movies? Again, none of them are perfect, but one of the better ones, or is that one of your favorites as well? It's up there. I, I'll be honest, man. This is where you're going to, we're going to definitely part ways, which is I, uh, I am an Armageddon fan over Deep Impact. I love Michael Bay. I think he makes popcorn fare as you said better than anybody so deep impact as many people may know maybe not deep impact came out in may of 98 i believe armageddon was july of 98 so there was like this rush to get these these asteroid movies to theaters and and deep impact is like you said a more personal kind of intimate story that that is about you know um 
the president and, and the uh, the reporter Taya Leone thinks she has a hot story about the president. You know, uh, a mistress named Ellie, but Ellie really stands for extinction level event, and she uncovers the asteroid heading towards Earth. And it, it is a it is a really good movie. You know, phenomenal performances from uh, from a, a myriad of people, but. I did prefer the uh, completely implausible, ridiculous Armageddon to that movie because I just, uh, again, I think that movie had a phenomenal score by Trevor Rabin, Trevor Rabin, um, and Michael Bay, man, destroys the earth almost as good as Roland Emmerich. To that, I'll say no way. Uh, Roland Emmerich des destroys the earth way better. And in terms of those very two very close together um, giant meteor destroying the earth movies that came out the same year. I mean, well, that's never going to happen again, but I'm a deep impact uh, fan all the way. You know, I like to think there's maybe two camps of people out there and there th there's these, you know, factions warring with each other about which giant meteor impacting the Earth movie from 1998 was better. So we're we're certainly talking about it. So maybe there is a, a crowd out there debating that. So uh, but what are what are your some what are some of your favorites outside of that one specific movie that's kind of like a counter to mine? I mean, Armageddon is one of my favorite movies. I can I can literally watch that movie every year. I genuinely love that movie. Um, I I also see see now we have now we're gonna get into the weeds, man. Where I, you I start overthinking things to where it's like, well, I've we've we've mentioned it on our, on our little cheat sheet over here, which is movies like Titanic are disaster movies. Titanic's one of the greatest movies ever. So I, I rank that up there. I mean, if we're going with sheer spectacle, uh, I do like. I do like the 2012 um, just because it's pretty much the entire earth is destroyed. And I guess when you go into a movie like that, that's all you want by the end for a couple people to survive, but for billions upon billions to be dead, I guess, at the end. <laughs> yeah. So I guess 2012 is if we're talking present here in the past, present, future segment, if we're talking 2012, I would say that's kind of the present, you know, it came out a little while ago at this point, but it's still modern enough that you could go back and watch it and not too much would really be out of place if you're watching it here in 2022. So I think 2012 is a good example of one of these that has just the right amount of dumb fun to it where, you know, the characters are zooming around a collapsing earth and they're somehow avoiding everything that's going on. <laughs> I really like, you know, when movies kind of toe that line really well, where there are some movies that do that, where the characters are evading danger and you kind of roll your eyes like, oh, OK, like that would really happen. And then other ones where there's not really enough danger. So I think 2012 actually kind of balances it pretty well. And that's, I think, one of my more liked present disaster movies, you know, in terms of ones in the genre. Yeah, this is how stupid I am. When you said, oh, 2012, it didn't, didn't come out that long ago. Uh, for a brief second in my head, I said, when did 2012 come out? So there's a peek behind the camera and how dumb I am. Um, but yeah, I'm su actually surprised that you kind of dig on 2012 because you're not a person I didn't think who really liked that big stupid dumb popcorn fair but i guess if you know what you're going in for like a 2012 you can enjoy it a little bit more as you seem to have no i think when you're not really expecting a lot out of disaster movies i think that's when maybe you find yourself enjoying them a little bit more so i think that's definitely the right mindset to go into one of these and if you're thinking about seeing moonfall after listening to this episode and going in with that mindset i think you would definitely enjoy it more and we'll get into why in, in in a little bit here but yeah i think 2012 is again i think you really have to toe the line as a disaster movie between too serious and too lighthearted, where there's not enough danger and it's not that serious versus they take themselves way too seriously and you're just like i just want to have some fun here i don't really want to watch uh people suffering that much you know i just want to see some cool spectacle and people get out of danger and all this kind of stuff so i think 2012 is one of those examples that kind of toes the line well so um that's kind of talking about a little bit of the past and the present but where do you see the future of disaster movies going because Personally, I think Moonfall is a good example of where they will go about what they might look like or where they might take place or what the topics might be. So I don't know. What do you think? I think if you look at current events of our world, man, 
we're kind of living in a disaster movie. So you think about movies of the past foretold, you know, of things that you never thought you would see in your lifetime. Well, when you look at the world we have right now, you would have you would have thought you know, a coronavirus is a disaster type movie. I mean, it was a movie. It was Contagion, which is a disaster movie, or Outbreak, which is a disaster movie. Um, so, I think we are going to be seeing a lot more virus based um, disaster movies, almost zombie esque type end of the world apocalyptic movies just because that's what happens you know you wait five years movies tend to be based on recent history you know after vietnam war you got a ton of war movies within five to ten years of that and stuff so i think in five years time we're going to be seeing a lot of of these apocalyptic movies based on kind of real life events based on viruses that wipe us out yeah, I, th I think you're right. I think whether it's a zombie virus or whether it's a more real life based virus like COVID-19, which, by the way, if you haven't seen Contagion for some reason, um, it was made in 2011, but it pretty much got everything on the money for our actual pandemic here that we've been going through for however long at this point. So I will say I, I don't really think of those kind of movies as disaster movies when I hear that. You know, I think global destruction. I don't really hear about, I don't really think about people getting sick, but you would definitely kind of throw that in with this genre, with disaster movies. So I would highly recommend Contagion if for some reason you're thinking about seeing it, but haven't seen it yet in the middle of this entire pandemic that we've all been going through. That is me. I, uh, I have not seen it. Because I didn't see it for the, I, I honestly, I never, I never watched it because I'm a bit of a hypochondriac. So when it first came out, I was like, I don't want to see this movie because it's going to mess me up. It's going to make me think I'm sick with everything. And then when the pandemic started, I did watch Outbreak again because I'd seen it before. So I was like, that's harmless. But I, I never got into, I never watched Contagion just because I, I didn't want, <laughs> I didn't want to be Bubble Boy for the rest of my life. But I have heard numerous people say great things. So I, I will eventually see it because fiction can't possibly be more stranger or, or anything scare me any more than real life can anymore no and again they nailed almost every aspect of that movie the timeline is just ever so slightly off from the sequence of events that happened in real life but it's so on the money for what happens uh 10 years in the future because they legitimately did their homework on that movie. They consulted scientists. They looked up all these actual details and facts and how diseases would spread and where they would come from and how they would affect people. So, you know, really go back and watch it and you'll be amazed how it kind of predicted the future, essentially. And hopefully there isn't another pandemic like this in your eyes lifetime, but I'm not holding out hope for that. So getting a little bit off track here but still go watch contagion it's a great disaster movie with kind of a virus outbreak virus outbreak that goes across the world so um i definitely think you're right where you're gonna see movies like this kind of be the future but i think they're gonna have to wait for people to kind of get over this pandemic a little bit before they start pumping those out that people want to see those and kind of relive this situation that they've been in. So I think you're right where that's definitely going to be a trend that we're going to see that that subgenre of disaster movies is going to come back and we're going to get some of these new viral outbreaks, you know, germ warfare kind of disaster movies coming out in the near future here. Oh yeah, I definitely can't wait for for I, I can wait, but I can't wait because I, you know, uh, uh, it breeds creativity, and I look forward to all the different ways they're going to do it. But to get back on track, where do you see the genre heading in the future? Five, ten, fifteen, twenty, thirty, fifty years from now. I think this is definitely a good trend looking at Moonfall that it's going to be alien invasion. It's going to be something from outer space, whether, again, it's more giant meteors or it's alien invasions or maybe like 2012, a solar flare kind of affects the Earth or something. So I just think a lot of space based things are kind of the future of the disaster movie genre. And and again, in whatever shape they come in, whether it's aliens or this or that, that you know, something affects the Earth's environment or something. It's just, I think it's going to be things coming from space. So that's my 
bold prediction about where disaster movies are heading. But again, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the trend that we're going to see here in the next five, 10 years with disaster movies and the ones that come out. So just remember where you heard it here first. Without a doubt. And um, I honestly think you just gave it the segue into our new movie review. So without a doubt. So without further ado, let's get into our new movie review of the week, which is Moonfall. So we're going to get into it. I think it was really great. So we're going to talk about it more here in a second. So new movie review, Moonfall, right now. So our new movie review here this week is, of course, Moonfall. Big sci-fi disaster movie that luckily both of us got to see a tiny bit early and both got to see on big screens, which I think really helps a movie like this to really get the most entertainment out of it. So what we usually do is we'll just do a quick, did we like it? Did we not like it? Before we get into spoilers, give you a chance to click away. If you want to go watch the movie, if you haven't seen it yet, then come back to this episode later. So Brad, what'd you think? What, did you like it, not like it? What 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 say you? What say I? So, I mean, the movie had some horrible dialogue. It had horribly cheesy jokes. And I genuinely loved every second of the movie. I thought it was great. I mean, I, I, I genuinely enjoyed it. It wasn't... It, you know, bad cheesy jokes can ruin a movie a lot of times. What ruined Independence Day Resurgence? But whatever the, this movie, it just it had a perfect amount of action. Seeing it in the IMAX, AMC IMAX screen definitely helped with that because it was a big screen. The sound was pumping in from all around me. It was it was a fun movie. I agree. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to see it in IMAX a little bit early, too. And I think, again, watching this large scale movie on such a big screen like that, this was the first IMAX screening I've gone to and I don't even know how long because I don't really go to an IMAX screening unless it's a movie that really justifies it. And with a global destruction, big screen movie like this with Moonfall, I think this is absolutely justified seeing this on such a big screen. And I really think that did kind of add something to it for me. But I liked it, too. Um I thought it towed the line pretty well, like when I was talking about earlier that disaster movies, I think, need to not take themselves themselves too seriously or be too silly. So I think it towed the line pretty well. I don't think it was perfect. But again, if you're looking for a popcorn entertainment disaster flick, I think you could do far worse than Moonfall. I thought it was a solid disaster movie. Yeah, I agree. I mean... There were scenes in that movie that I were like, well, that they, that's a direct copy off of Armageddon or a direct like there were scenes in this movie that I was like, that was in Armageddon. That was in Independence Day. So there, there were definitely scenes. There, there were def like we said, he didn't reinvent the wheel with this movie because blatant ripoffs of some of it, some some other disaster movies, including his own. But it was fun. It was just. It was two. It was a two-hour movie. Didn't overstay its welcome, which was good. Because movies like this can sometimes tend to be two and a half hours, even three hours, and you're just like, "We get it, all right." But two hours was a perfect length for this movie. Yeah, and you know, you watch the the first trailer for this because the trailers for Moonfall were all over the place. You watch the first trailer. And it seems like a dark sci-fi mystery kind of movie. And then you watch a recent trailer and it seems like a big, dumb, fun action disaster movie. So I think it was kind of partway in between. You know, part of the fun for these types of movies, especially when you're de dealing with aliens and outside forces, is kind of finding out the rules and finding out what makes the aliens tick or these sort of things, watching the humans kind of solve the mystery as they go along. And I definitely did enjoy that part of the movie. I think where I didn't like it as much, I liked the parts where they were in space and dealing with the space parts more. Because I think when you get into these movies and you have these side plots, 
with these side characters taking place away from kind of the main action, still dealing dealing with some sort of action, but taking place away from the core story of the movie. I think where that's that's where these movies start to weaken a little bit. And I think that was definitely the case with Moonfall. I really like the parts where they were in space and dealing with space stuff, but the human characters back on Earth, the the family trying to get to the fallout shelter, I didn't really like that plot line at all. I felt like it, it cut away from what I really wanted to see. Well, f- I for one didn't know it was about aliens going into it. I had only ever seen the first teaser trailer, which was basically about the moon is out of orbit. And I just thought it was a straight up disaster movie about the moon being out of orbit and maybe pieces of what are breaking off and falling to earth. So when I, Watch the movie. I, I, it gave a slight. I guess the trailer gave a slight hint that maybe something more sinister or something was going on. But I, I tend to only watch the first trailer for any movie. I don't. Once I've seen a trailer, once my appetite is wet for a movie, I don't like watching trailers two through ten because I, 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 I'm already excited for the movie. I don't need thirty different trailers spoiling everything for me. So I didn't know that it was an alien subplot or the whole thing was alien based. I, I, did you know that going into it? Yeah, I think again, even just, and I did kind of have some trailers, you know, forced on me from, from Moonfall, some of these other ones outside of just the very first one. But I think even in that first trailer, you can kind of tell that something's up. That's there's some kind of outside force influencing the events of the movie. So I'm not really sure if you could really glean aliens or what their motives were from that very first trailer. But I could definitely tell something was up. That it wasn't just a simple oh the moon's falling to earth like moonfall. What if the moon just fell to earth and we just kind of dealt with that? I, I felt like there had to be something more, and that was where I kind of thought, eh, yeah, there's got to be something else going on. Right. I, f- I mean, they give a little glimpse that something is up with it. It's not just, oh, the, Earth, the moon's out of rotation or something and it's falling to Earth or something. They gave a little glimpse, which is probably why I avoided any future trailers, because I just didn't want to know anything else. And, and trailers today suck. I mean, they put, they give to, they, for one, you don't need a million trailers for a movie. Give me one, wet the appetite, I'm going to go see it. I don't need 50 trailers. So, And this one was is kind of the case for that, where it's just like the first trailer for me was like, I want to see that. Roland Emmerich, disaster movie, about the moon. I'm there. Don't need a million trailers. So when, when, the, when the subplot with, what's his name, John Bradley, that the character that he was in uh, Game of Thrones... Um, when that subplot, you know, about how he's the crazy, you know, uh, conspiracy theorist and the moon is, uh, it's a cage or something for aliens or something like that. It was built, the moon was, was built or something as a, as a how as a home for aliens, I guess, you know, it was, it was, it was like, all right, I'll go with you on this journey. And once he starts saying it, the second the crazy guy starts saying it, you know, that's what it is. So the second he says it, you're like, well, we already know he's not the crazy character. He's the one who's going to be right. And um, so I, I appreciate it. And that's kind of where, like, some of these the shots I talk about that were, like, directly taken from, like, uh, you know, Armageddon and stuff where they go in and, and I'll spoil the ending because the ending was 100% Armageddon where um, he's going to uh, – Patrick Wilson's going to stay behind – to, to detonate the uh, thing to to do the bomb or whatever inside the moon, but then John Bradley they do he does the switcheroo and he says I'm going to do it. It was the exact ending to Armageddon with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. I don't know. I, I feel like Armageddon didn't really coin that whole surprise switcheroo. One character is going to sacrifice themselves, but another will do it. I know you probably like to think that it did coin that, but um, no. Yeah. With John Bradley's conspiracy theorist character, you know, you kind of have to take their word for it because we know it's a movie and we know whatever they're saying is true. But if you ran into somebody like this in real life, you would want to get away from them as quickly as possible. So, you know, I thought he did a pretty good job, you know, for, you know, kind of segueing here into performances. So I thought he was entertaining. And obviously a lot of the humor kind of came from his character. And I guess for me, it sounded like maybe some of the humor took you out of it a little bit. 
again, I thought it wasn't that bad that when you have movies like this that are a little too silly, sometimes it takes you out of it. But I didn't really mind it that much. Sure, there were some jokes in there that were very 2022, very, you know, this week in history kind of jokes that, you know, kind of didn't really get as big of a reaction from the theater. But there was some classic, you know, just universal humor that just made everybody laugh while they were watching it. And it got a couple chuckles out of me. So I think you definitely need some lightheartedness in a big end of the world disaster movie like this. But I guess for me, it didn't really hit me as hard. I, I guess maybe I spoke out. I, the humor was fine for me, but it was cheesy. So it wasn't like, like in some of these movies, there are characters who are genuinely funny. And then there's like, oh, oh, oh we get it. This is your comic. We got, we got it, Mr. Screenwriter. There's your comic relief. So this movie hit that box for me. But because I kind of like John Bradley as an actor, I, I was a Game of Thrones fan. Um, I was like, right on. And because the movie, I was so entertained by the movie. I was I went along with it, you know. It didn't it it wasn't like an Independence Day resurgence where the humor was so god awfully bad that that ruined the movie for me. Whereas the humor in this, it, it was it was like you said, it was a chuckle, a guffaw, if you will. But it didn't ruin it for me because the movie I was I was already I was already on board with this movie. So it, the 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 humor in it, the performances, all of it worked for me. So what did you think about the other two leads with Halle Berry, Patrick Wilson kind of anchoring this trio that goes into space to kind of solve this dilemma? Um, because I thought I thought they were good. You know, again, like you kind of alluded to at the beginning of this new re movie review segment, you know, the writing was kind of eh, not not super great. You're, you're not really expecting Oscar winning writing going into this. But, you know, it's like I thought they did the best they could with what they had. I thought they did a decent enough job that they did everything they need to and didn't really do too much or do too little, if that makes sense. You know, I thought they were there and they did a good job for the movie. I mean, I like Patrick Wilson of you know Watchmen and and uh, you know the horror movies he's done, Insidious and The Conjuring and stuff. I, I think Patrick Wilson's a great actor, and I don't even even Catwoman. You'll never get me to say a bad word about Halle Berry. I think Halle Berry is one of the best actresses we have. So something else I noticed with this movie was that, and this has been a trend that I've been kind of seeing in movies these days, where you'll have a veteran actor or actress, someone with a familiar face, show up in a movie and spout a few cool movie trailer lines to really grab audiences' attention and really get them hooked when they watch the movie trailer. But then in the final product, they're barely in it. And for me in this movie, in Moonfall, that was definitely Donald Sutherland, where he was... Definitely in the trailers a lot and kind of spouting off this cool movie trailer dialogue and really seemed like he was going to be the person behind the person and really know what was going on and how to solve the problem. And he was there on an Apollo mission or something. But then he's in the movie for five minutes. And for me, this definitely reminded me a lot of Jeff Goldblum's part in the latest Jurassic World movie in Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, where they use somebody, a familiar face to hook you in with the movie trailer and say, oh, they're going to be in it. Oh, that's cool. I'm going to go watch them and they're going to have a big part to play. And then they're in it for less than five minutes. So it's a small thing, but it wasn't really something I liked afterwards kind of thinking about the movie. It's another issue of, uh, do, like I said, I like the movie, but shoddy writing, which is, here's a character to give you every bit of exposition we need in five minutes, okay? The rest of the movie is going to be stuff blowing up and stuff, disaster movie, blah, blah, blah. But we need this one guy to come in and just, just for five minutes, he's just going to talk and he's going to tell you every tidbit you need to know about why everything is happening in this movie. And that was Donald Sutherland. And obviously they th threw a, you know, a, a hefty, a hefty sum at him for him to come in for a day's worth of work to, to knock out that scene. I, I love Donald Sutherland. I, you know, if he, if he's going to be in a movie for, you know, 30 seconds or, you know, two hours, I'll, I, I enjoy him in any movie. He's, he's got one of those silky, smooth, sultry voices, you know, I think that's mainly what he's no known for his, his, his voice, him and his son, Kiefer. So I, I, I appreciated that, and I guess it, it helps, like, 
in a movie like this to get a big name like a Donald Sutherland where um, if it's some no-name guy, I could see the audience maybe getting a little bored with all the exposition dialogue from somebody you don't know. Whereas if it's Donald Sutherland in there spouting out the the everything you need to know, you're, you're kind of going to go with it just because I, I know I like Donald Sutherland. Yeah, you know, I don't think it was a big issue that really stopped me from enjoying the movie as I was watching it live. But it was something where I kind of looked up the movie after the fact when I got home. And then I'm looking through the cast list and I realized, oh, yeah, he was in that movie. <laughs> he was there for about five minutes, you know, one scene, if that. So, you know, it was just something small that kind of like, eh, did he really need to be there? Probably not. But, you know, and he was just there to kind of, you know, like you said, just kind of tell people what, what was going on. So, um but this was another movie, and speaking of casting, that dealt with some COVID issues with its casting. So imagine this, if you will. Initially, they wanted to cast Josh Gad as John Bradley's character, as the conspiracy theorist. But because of COVID-19 delays and scheduling conflicts and shooting schedules and all these different things, Josh Gad had to drop out and they replaced him with John Bradley. And before we kind of talk about who we think might have done the better job if Gad had gotten the part, Another one that they had, again, because of complications due to COVID-19 with filming this movie, initially, Michael Pena's kind of stepdad character was supposed to be played by Stanley Tucci, who, you know, again, we'll get to in a second, but I think would have been an upgrade. I'm always a Stanley Tucci fan. I think he would have been great in that obnoxious stepdad who becomes a hero, sacrifices himself, plot line kind of thing. But uh, what what do you think about these two replacement actors? You know, do you think that they would have done better, if not kind of same jobs as the actors that we did get in the movie? I like Josh Gad. I like Josh Gad a lot. He originated Book of Mormon on Broadway, which is the only Broadway play I've ever seen. I paid my money, got a hefty sum to see that thing on Broadway. So I, I am a huge Josh Gad fan. I do think he would have played the role more goofy than John Bradley did. I, I like John Bradley. I think even though he did play the role and he had a lot of the jokes, he was the comic relief character. I feel like Josh Gad would have been a little bit more goofy in the role. Now, Pena versus Tucci, uh, I'm kind of equal on them. I love both of them. They are top-tier actors for me in both of them. So let me ask you a question, which is in my theater, Pena, even though he first came to the scene with the movie Crash and a very serious role in the movie Crash was when I first noticed him. But recently, he's been known more for the uh, the Marvel movies, and he's played more of a comic relief kind of character. If you can even see over my shoulder here, this way, I just bought the action figure. <laughs> I got the Michael Pena action figure from Ant-Man. So I only say that because in my theater, when Pena came on screen for the first time, my theater erupted in laughter. He had done nothing yet at all in the movie. But my theater, because of what he's now being known for, this more comic relief character from the Ant-Man movies, where he's genuinely hilarious, he he was he got a laugh just from his face in the original scene. His character in this movie is not funny at all. He is not a comic relief character in the slightest in this movie, I didn't think. So did that happen in your theater or how did the, how did that play? No, I, I'm surprised to hear that, but it just goes to show you how big the Marvel movies are, is that people see a face from the Ant-Man franchise that's known for comedy, and they say, oh, I know that guy, and they give a little cheer, they give a little laugh or something. But yeah, you're right, he did. He wasn't really cracking jokes in this one, and I'm a Michael Pena fan as well, I think, outside of his comedic acting, which I think you're right, because of the Ant-Man franchise, he maybe has been taking on some more comedic stuff lately, and he's still funny as anything in that. But with this, he's not really given a lot of jokes. He's, you know, the stepdad that clashes with Patrick Wilson's character, but then, of course, you know, becomes a good guy and is looking out for the kids and sacrifices himself. You know, we've seen that kind of subplot a million times, but... I still enjoyed it in Moonfall, and I think, again, he's good even with dramatic stuff, too. So if you want to see him in this kind of similar, serious, you know, dramatic sci-fi role, go watch The Martian because he does have a supporting role in that one where he's given some, you know, kind of serious sci-fi real-life material to work with, and I think he does a good job in that one as well. Martian's a top 10 movie for me, so I, I absolutely love that movie, and I, I love Michael Pena. And and maybe to, to, to move into our next point, which is 
Pena didn't have a massive role. We just talked about Don. Well, he had a big role, but not, you know, it, it's a role I feel it, it, it wasn't like a, oh, only Michael Pena could have played this role or only Stanley Tucci. And as we just talked about, Donald Sutherland with his real minute role in the film. And so the next point we have kind of on our cheat sheet over here was the budget for this movie. And so and I didn't know. This was your note. $140 million bucks this movie cost. And you can kind of see like, okay, they threw some money at these actors for, for these kind of smaller roles that, you know, some, some leading actors took these smaller roles Obviously, they paid them pretty well for those roles if the budget hit 140 million bucks. So, yeah, at least according to Wikipedia, the number one information source for all things on the Internet, this movie's budget was around 140 million dollars, which may or may not seem like a lot of money to you when you hear about making a movie, especially a large scale disaster movie. But that is a little bit of money. So, you know, I like to think a lot of it did go to the large scale, you know, effects and shoots and that kind of thing. But, you know, maybe they did have to shell out a little bit to kind of cover their tracks with these actors who had to fill in for their initial choices. So I think it was worth it. I think, you know, there wasn't really a lot of times where I'm staring at the screen and I can see the gaps in the CGI. A lot of people love to say that a lot of CGI these days looks terrible, that they can spot the difference. And look, I I used to do visual effects. I, I work on this stuff all the time. I, I work in video like and I can't tell the difference most of the time. So I really kind of doubt the people that say they can spot they can spot spotty CGI. But I wasn't really seeing a lot of bad CGI in this one. So I think the money did go to a good place and you really have to nail that look and feel of disaster and things going boom and pieces of the moon coming apart and these alien aspects. And I think they did a good job of that. So I think the budget is mostly justified, probably a little bit more than they would have liked to spend, but I think it went to a good place. But with a movie like this, where it cost $140 million, potentially, according to Wikipedia, the source of all things, um, at $140 million, what's the rule? Usually a movie has to hit double to over double its, its uh, price tag to be even remotely profitable, which would make this movie needing over $300 million. Do, do you think... In this landscape, this type of movie, it's not a Spider-Man. So can this movie hit a 300 million worldwide take, do you think? I think so, because I was going to bring up Spider-Man. I, I was going to say before we had Spider-Man, give us a billion dollars at the global box office really quickly. Um, I would say that it would be hard to get that amount these days in a pandemic that we're still living in to really hit 300 mil at the box office. But I think people are starting to go back to theaters if Spider-Man has shown us anything. And I think in February, it's a little bit of a slow time right now for movies that there's not a ton really coming out. And this is definitely something that I think just a casual movie goer, someone who just wants to see a popcorn flick is going to go see that, you know, I think it could definitely hit 300 mil worldwide, especially not even just in the U.S. In the U.S., I might be a little tough, but. I think this can either make back its money or make a little bit money once it's kind of done with the worldwide box office for sure. I hope because I enjoy it and I want to see Emmerich continue to kind of make his brand of movie, which is this, these, these are his, his bread and butter. And, and, and it's, it wasn't just a straight disaster movie as we talked, it's an alien movie. It's, it's really mixed a lot of these disaster subgenres kind of into one in it with this movie. So, you know, since we talked about aliens and space and all these different parts of it, you know, let's just talk about like the main kind of conflict, the third act, you know, the big finale. You know, what did you think about, you know, you had this uh, essentially uh, nanites, you know, this alien controlled uh, cloud of whatever, you know, it looked pretty good than a lot of these kind of nanite monsters or aspects that we get in a lot of these sci-fi movies these days. Whenever they don't really know what to do with something, they just say nanites and just have them do whatever. But what did you think about how, oh, the real kind of aliens behind everything were ancient humans who built the moon and this nanite AI is trying to stop them? You know, what did you think about that kind of a re of reveal? So it did 
there were certain. That's another thing. It, it reminded me of other movies again, which was it was future humans, future human civilizations had built the moon, which brought me to uh, Interstellar, which is all about future humans and gravity and all that. And so that gave me hints of Interstellar. Then the fact that it was about um, 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 other planets being similar to Earth and 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 all and having other Earth-like planets that brought human life to us and stuff reminded me of. I don't know if you ever saw this movie from early two thousands called Mission to Mars. It's a, I think Brian De Palma film with uh, Tim Robbins, Don Cheadle, Gary Sinise. Really good movie. But that's kind of like what that movie's about: is they find a uh, face-like sculpture on Mars and they send a mission up there, and it's about how earth came earthlings humans came from mars came from uh from things on mars and so that kind of gave me those shades of that type of stuff and and i guess i appreciated the payoff of the john bradley character not being crazy talking about i forget the term he used but the moon being a not the moon but a a hub for alien life or for a uh a a a a, a, a you know whatever the word is but i appreciated that type of payoff and you know i i I like that like i said i was expecting just a straight disaster the movie the the earth or the moon is crashing into the earth so i appreciated that it went to these different places with the aliens and and had a more deeper uh mythology built into it as opposed to just eye candy so thank you to everybody for watching or listening to another episode of Mitch and Brad's movie show where we covered Moonfall here, a new release movie that's out in theaters currently. So, you know, I think we both liked it. Hopefully we both added something new to the discussion if people are really talking about this one. So, you know, I hope to see some more disaster movies like this from Emmerich in the future. So I thought this was a solid movie that I would I would probably recommend for people to check out on the big screen. Yeah, well, we may get more movies like this. The end set it up for a sequel, so we shall see. Yeah, so thank you, everybody, for tuning in and engaging with us. So we'll be back again next week with the new episode, and again, we're going to be switching gears. Our featured movie for next week's episode is going to be Licorice Pizza, which is definitely an indie movie if I ever saw one. So looking forward to discussing that one. Uh, Brad, what do you think? Are you looking forward to next week's episode, too? I am. I'm a P.T. Anderson fan, so I look forward to, to discussing that movie. Absolutely. So it'll be another good one. So thank you for tuning in, and hopefully we'll see you again next week with a new episode of Mitch and Brad's Movie Show. Oh, 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 oh,